Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the show. Delighted that you could join us. We're going to be chatting with my Showtime partner, Steve Farhood, uh, boxing writer, historian, and excellent broadcaster. And of course, we're going to be answering your questions that you send to me at Al Bernstein on Twitter and chatting about what's going on in the world of boxing. And to help me do that, I bring in my partner in crime, Mr. Trip Mitchell. Trip, how are you? I am doing great, and I, I'm a little upset at our first question. There's a, a little tinge to it. Why don't we get to it right off the bat? This comes from Cuba at SDSU, I think at San Diego State, and he's very complimentary. He goes, as a le legit longtime fan of yours since the ESPN top rank days, where does the call of, in quotations, if Davis thought Santa Cruz was just going to fold, close quote, <laughs> just as Tank Davis lands the uh, KO of the year, how would that be on your worst timing list? And then yeah. he had a smile. Hey, it just happens to be the best of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, that this, it, it was the, on the broadcast, for those that haven't seen it, if you, you may see it and when it's rerun, uh, we were, you know, it was just before um, Tank Davis scored the knockdown. There had been, it had been a ferocious round. And I was saying that if the Davis people, I was starting to say, if Davis thought, thought that, you know, Santa Cruz would fold early in the fight, perhaps he was wrong, okay? <laughs> I didn't get to the second part, you know, of perhaps he was wrong about the first part of the fight. I mean, it sounded like, you know, if he, if he thought he was going to fold, well, no, you know, but then he knocked him out in that moment when I was saying it. And so it made it sound like I was saying that he wasn't going to knock him out. Uh, and of course, the timing was a perfect storm of uh, of uh, evil for me because um, here I was saying something might not happen at that moment when in fact the exact thing happened at that moment that I said might not happen. So, uh, you know, hey, uh, it, 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 it's funny because I, it's almost uncharacteristic for me to make a statement exactly like that anyway, but I did and I was going to qualify it in the next part of the statement, but I never got there. So, uh, uh, so that's how that happened. And I, where does it rank in terms of bad timing? I'm going to say it's right in the top two or three uh, that I've had over 40 years. Well, you did it on a pay-per-view. So, you know, people paid for something. They got a little, they got some value. Hey, listen, it happens. That, what are you going to do? I'm, I'm, you know, I, I can't, uh, you, you know, you can't, you can't walk away from those things when it, you know, it didn't, I mean, I, I think that the, uh, the fight itself was fantastic and we had a really good show. Uh, so overall, um, I look at it as a, uh, as a, a, a big plus night for sure for the team. How good is Floyd Mayweather as a production? When he takes fighters under his wings, is it a big asset for everyone involved? Or big well, you benefit? know, his promotion company has done well for some of their fighters. You know, they think their track record is like most promoters. You hit some, you lose some. Uh, and uh, I think for, for Gervonta Davis and, and in this fight, in the fight with uh, Santa Cruz, he, re he went and trained at the Mayweather gym. Uh, he really relied on Floyd Mayweather to give him some tips and suggestions, not only on fighting, but on how to handle 
uh, uh, dealing with a pay-per-view fight, which this was the first one that Davis had done. So I think his presence helped Davis. And in the preview show on Showtime, they showed him flying around in Floyd's jet. And probably not a dime of uh, jet fuel is charged back to Tank Davis, I would guess. <laughs> no, I don't think so. You, you don't normally get that private jet treatment if somebody else is your promoter. Okay. And uh, uh, another question. This comes from Bombs Boxing. Thoughts on Donate, on the Wilder and his excuses? Mm. You know, I'm loath to even talk about this, but we did get the question. And um, Deontay Wilder, you know, has had some very odd. Kevin Ioli wrote a very, the, from Yahoo Sports, wrote a very good article on this and uh, credited Deontay Wilder for a number of things that he's done, uh, including, uh, you know, making himself a, an excellent boxer after he started at a late age, uh, sometimes calling. Uh, attention to certain racial things in boxing that may be uncomfortable but needed talking about, uh, and many other things that Deontay Wilder has done right in his career, and it's created a great career. Unfortunately, since the uh, Tyson Fury loss in the second fight, he's made some public statements that have been odd. Uh, of course, he fired Mark Breland, his trainer who had stopped the fight. He was distressed with that. And make no mistake, Deontay Wilder has a right to have anyone train him that he wants. So he has a right to dismiss Mark Breland. Um, may not have been handled very well, but nonetheless, he has a right to do that. But, you know, originally he made his excuses that it was the costume that made him weak and it was too heavy. Now he's he released a video just around Halloween, uh, and it was had a kind of a, a strange Halloween theme to it that made it seem even a little bit more bizarre, in which he talked about conspiracies of, you know, uh, fury tampering with the gloves, uh, and, and, you know, which is very difficult because the commission is checking those gloves, and also uh, that his water was somehow contaminated and even suggesting that Mark Breland may have had something to do with that, which was, you know, pretty much over the pale. And so in general, boxing people have been kind of appalled at, at what he did. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm loath to, to, to pile on. The only problem is some of the comments that uh, Deontay and Wilder made have ramifications for other people, for Mark Breland, for the commission, uh, in their handling of uh, the gloves. And, you know, he made a lot of uh, unsubstantiated charges. And I think if you're going to make those kind of charges, you better make sure you can make them stick. So it was unfortunate, to be sure. Yeah, it is. And uh, great match, great matches, and, and we'll see what happens in the future. Speaking of the future, we have a new sponsor on board, my bookie, And they have decided that they need an expert game picker under their uh, umbrella and that's why they're sponsoring the show and uh, they're giving you uh, a large amount of money to pick some games and we're excited to do it yeah we're gonna we're gonna do some uh, uh, we're gonna put me to, to the test as a as a football uh, picker so don't expect me to be the greatest handicapper that ever lived but uh, I want to tell you a little bit of something uh, about my bookie so that you're aware of what they're all about, and we're happy to have them on board for the show. You know, um, ever since I started out, people have been asking me for advice on sports, and uh, and it's usually about who's going to win and what team they should bet on. And, you know, uh, you got the Patriots or the 49ers this week, the Bucks, the Raiders. Well, the best piece of advice that I can really give to anyone is 
uh, where you're betting is just as important as who you bet on. Uh, and that's why I always tell people that visit my bookie. Uh, you know, they've got uh, deposit matches, free bets, and huge cash prize contests for you to take advantage of. And it's going to be all season long. NFL action, uh, college football, of course. Plus, they have a, a mobile-friendly website and a top of uh, and top-of-the-line customer service, to be sure. So make, that makes their platform a one-stop shop for all your betting needs. Now, MyBookie offers uh, action on just everything from championship futures to NFL in-game live betting, uh, making sure you're covered every step of the way. So congrats if you're one of the ones to cash in on the generous early season odds on the Lakers to win the NBA championship. That was pretty remarkable. So sign up at MyBookie today, and when you do, uh, you can use our promo code, Bernstein, yeah, how, how clever, to <laughs> claim a halfway match on your deposit. So if you put $200 down, they'll spot you another $100 to play with. Now, it's uh, a bonus designed to give you a little bit of help and a head start on your winning season. So that promo code, again, is Bernstein. That's promo code Bernstein, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N, so you can claim your bonus when you make your uh, deposit. And uh, there's all kinds of great things uh, for you to uh, bet on with my bookie, and uh, we hope that you will avail yourself of it. And as uh, Tripp pointed out, uh, I they've given me a, a, a kind of a nest egg to, to uh, play with during the course of the season to see how well I do. And... Uh, Chip, what game have we chosen for me to weigh in on on this one? Well, this is a game that might be the second craziest game ESPN has ever, craziest thing ESPN's ever had. One when you left the network, now on a Monday night game, <laughs> Bill Belichick and the Patriots going down to the Jets, and the Patriots are laying seven. Now, Patriots are just stinking up the joint. One and four against the spread in the last five games. Uh, the total has been under. The Jets are one and six against the spread. New England not getting it done on offense, only averaging 19.2 points a game, and uh, they're giving up 23 points. But the other part of the equation is the Jets are truly horrible. Who do you have in this one, Al? Okay, yeah, I watched both of these teams play uh, this past weekend, and uh, it was, you know, it was. Um, not good. <laughs> the you know the the Patriots were in a position where they could have won, but the turnover uh, by Cam Newton did not uh, pretty much derail that. The Jets were simply out of the game against the Chiefs uh, the entire way, uh, and they are struggling mightily. So this is a tough one to pick because you really don't want to pick either team, and the seven points seems daunting to give. But I have so little confidence in the Jets. Uh, and I think the Patriots' defense is really good. So I'm going to go with the Patriots in this game. So mark that down. We'll see how I do on our next podcast. We'll keep you updated on how I'm doing uh, with these picks. So go at my bookie. Uh, so you can go there and, uh, uh, and also uh, make your own wagers. So uh, on this episode, we're going to interview our, my friend Steve Farhood, who, of course, is a boxing writer, historian, and um, my compatriot at Showtime Championship Boxing. And, of course, he does the Showbox series uh, on Showtime as well. Here's my chat with Steve Farhood. Steve, you uh, 
are a, a perfect example of somebody that made the transition from uh, the print media uh, and or digital to becoming uh, an excellent broadcaster. How was that transition and how long did it take you to, to, felt, to feel that you were comfortable in a different role? You're assuming I feel comfortable now, Al. <laughs> There, I'm are, sure there, are, there are those who would argue the point, but um, <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it was a great transition because when you do, and I know that you are one person that can totally understand this, when you're in one industry for as long as we've been, both of us 40 years, over 40 years, you need, I feel you need changes along the way to keep yeah. it fresh and interesting. And for me, the first 20 years, I did primarily print media with the magazines and Ring Magazine and KO Magazine. And then when I made the shift to almost 90% video or television, uh, it, was, it, it brought new challenges. And they were very much challenges for me because I'm not a natural on television. I, I kind of fake it and I do what I have to do. And, you know, with this nose and this receding hairline and I do the best <laughs> I can, you know. America takes me in anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think you're a handsome man who fits per television you. perfectly. <laughs> you... Um, do you ever, though, uh, find yourself in your mind kind of thinking of yourself as still a writer, even though you and you write a lot, but most of it is for TV now? Yeah, I, uh, I, I definitely consider myself a writer first. And it's interesting in talking to our colleague, Barry Tompkins, who's done tons of television, yeah. much more than me. He thinks of himself the same way as a writer first. And I think that's a good thing. It's a healthy thing because yeah. if you think like a writer, your words are going to be sharper. You're going to, your thoughts are going to be better, better thought out. So I think that's a, that's a positive. Uh, but I definitely think of myself as a writer first. Yeah. And don't you think uh, that at least I feel this way, having also had a, a background in writing, I think it helps you organize your thoughts for things that you do on TV. Yeah, I would agree with that. And also. Unfortunately, and I don't know how you feel about this, but because of the internet and because of the speed of the internet and the speed requirements of the internet, there is certainly less value presented by the average listener or viewer in journalism than there used to be. I think yeah. we see that in hard news coverage as well, you know, which has slanted one way or the other, where it used to be more subjective. But we have the same type of background, you and I, Al, and, and I think we still value the journalistic part of the job where you don't see that necessarily in that many other places. I'm not saying what's right and what's wrong. I'm just saying the way it is. Uh, it's very, it's very really good point. Um, you have your broadcasting career uh, started out, of course, doing the, when you were uh, doing uh, covering the fights uh, for CNN with Nick Charles, who you would, of course, reunite with. Uh, on the Showbox series that is past 20 years in its longevity. And that, that is a series that is unmistakably your series. Your, your imprint on it is indelible and, uh, and it's all the better for that. Um, that series is a unique one in boxing. Uh, it, it is a little bit like the series that I used to do um, with your current partner, Barry Tompkins on ESPN, uh, the top ranked boxing series. Uh, in that people get to see boxers as they're making their way towards contention. Does that influence how you announce fights at all, the fact that you're often doing these prospects? 
I, I think it does, Al. And I think the way it does is we, we don't pretend that we're, we're televising Ali Frazier. Yeah. You know, there, there's a little bit more of a, of a, of a relaxed atmosphere in, in the way we broadcast. And Raul Marquez fits right into there. And Barry, yeah. of course, is mellow, if nothing else. He's not a screamer. He's not a shouter. So I no. think one of the reasons maybe it works, if, if, for those who think it does work, it is that reason. You know, we, we take it as, as more of a, almost, I don't want to say casual, but, but a little less intense than maybe the fights we do on Showtime Championship Boxing or bigger fights. So I do think it, it has influenced how we broadcast the fight and how we produce the show, too. Yeah, that's a good point, even how you present them. more. For instance, more information is probably involved in the presentation of these the boxers because people are more than likely, in a lot of cases, uh, unless they've seen them on Showbox several times, they may not be familiar with them. Exactly right. And so we have to go back into the amateur backgrounds a little bit and the storylines that for some of the fighters that we do on Showtime Championship Boxing, the fans are already familiar with, but they're not going to be familiar. We, it's the, our job to introduce the fighters to America, to American audiences. And, you know, the fact that, A, nobody in 20 years has really copied our show or our format. Right, that's is true. quite a compliment. And two, having 83, 84 future world champions on the show in 260, 270 shows means you're going to see a future world champion once every four shows. And that, that's pretty neat. Yeah, I love that. Actually, that number that keeps growing, I always think of it as the magic number of, uh, uh, for uh, Showtime Boxing and for Showbox. And uh, I'm, sometimes I'm conscious of it on the few occasions when I've had a chance to sit in with you and do uh, the Showbox. It always, I always think to myself, is this person the next uh, champion that's going to add uh, to that number? Your show has produced some crazy knockouts. Uh, yes. Of every variety, early in fights, late in fights, uh, in a way, it's almost one of the defining features of Showbox. The, the most amazing thing, Al, you're 100% right, and the most amazing thing we've had, have we had some great fights? Yes, great extended fights, of course. When you do as many yeah. fights as we do, you're going to have them. But what marks Showbox more than anything else is first rounds. We have had some crazy first rounds. <laughs> we've had a 13-second knockout. We've had the famous uh, Saku Powell, Cornelius Bundridge double knockdown, which ended in 22 right. seconds. We had uh, um, so many. I mean, the, the first round knockouts we've had, and probably the best, maybe the best fight we have ever had was uh, Torres Kendall Holt, a world championship fight. So it didn't fit into the Showtime, Showbox uh, formula, but it was a world championship fight. And in one minute of one round, that fight ended after one minute, we had a butt, two knockdowns, and a low blow and a title changing hands. So that might've been the most exciting one minute of boxing you were ever gonna see. Except for that, nothing happened, right? Right. <laughs> um, and that series, of course, uh, you've worked with great partners. You worked with Nick Charles and uh, you worked with Kurt Menefee and now you've Barry Tompkins as your partner, uh, Raul Marquez uh, doing commentary, Antonio Tarver uh, slipped in there. You had to put up with me a couple times to play by play with you. Uh, we had fun, Al. We had fun. We did. We had a great time doing doing the shows together. Um, th that that I always say that show is a family because uh, you have Gordon Hall, who uh, you know is the executive producer, um, and uh, Rich Gone, who's the producer, and uh, uh, Jeff Phillips, uh, who's the uh, Rich Phillips, yeah. 
yeah, uh, yeah, uh, who's the uh, uh, director. And you guys are all, um, you're all like a family. Well, it's, it, as you know, being in television so long, Alex, it's very unusual to have a show of any kind, whether it be sports, drama, comedy, anything, to have the same producer, executive producer, yeah. director, and partly the talent for 20 years. I mean, that's just unheard of. And so, you know, we, we know how to put up with each other. We know how to bring the best out of each other. And, and it's, look, it, let's not kid each other. It's not a high budget show. We do the best. I think we do a very good job with a relatively low budget in production. Yeah, and it looks like a, a high budget show. It really does. The elements are great and, and um, the way the show is produced is excellent. You now uh, have been scoring uh, on the Showtime Championship Boxing. Yeah, you, you were afraid I had to bring that up, right? Uh, <laughs> what kind of friend am I? Uh, you've been doing it for years now on the Showtime Championship Boxing Series. And that is such, for any sportscaster that has to do that, and I did it for a long time on the ESPN series that I did, the Top Rank series, and also on Showtime Championship Boxing. It is such a two-edged sword because on the one hand, you get to, you know, score the fights and, and also give people some insights into why you scored it. But in a way, it's a thankless job, isn't it? It is. It's a challenge because you have a producer in your ear. I'm listening to what you and Mo and Abner are saying. I'm paying attention to the corners. I'm looking at the fight stats, the CompuBox stats. And all of that on top of the fact that the single most important factor in scoring fights is keeping focus. It's a very yeah. hard thing to do for three minutes at a time over the course of a half hour or 40 minutes. But that really is what separates scoring off television where you're sort of half paying attention or having a beer or you know eating a hero to really paying attention and trying to do it properly. And it's, it's very difficult, but uh, it's a challenge. And every fight that I score when that first bell rings, I really have to zoom in on that, no pun intended, zoom in on that fight and take it very seriously. And even with all that, we know that scoring can be subjective. So you kind of can't win uh, sometimes. Luckily, no one has ever disagreed with one of your scores. Never, never not once. <laughs> Unprecedented in boxing history, but you managed to accomplish I, it. I like it when we, when we disagree. You and I had a minor disagreement a couple of days ago. We did. With uh, the Castillo-Clayton fight. I had yeah. Clayton winning by two points. You agreed, but you thought no way it could have been a draw, and I would have been yeah. comfortable with a draw. So that's positive. That's positive because, A, it yeah. shows the subjectivity of scoring, and, B, it gives you something to talk about on the air. It does. That's absolutely true. And, uh, and you are right on 99% of the time. So, Kind of you to say. You, the um, the boxing scene now, which has returned uh, post-pandemic, uh, or we can't say post-pandemic because we're still living in the pandemic, but uh, during the course of this pandemic, uh, we've been able to see boxing return. And since it has returned, it has produced some exceptional fights. You know, we, we just recently, the Quadros um, fight with... Um, with Estrada, yeah. With Estrada, thank you. Uh, and uh, uh, Ramirez versus Postal was an excellent fight. Of course, uh, Baranchek versus Cepeda was terrific. Uh, Dillian White and uh, Alex Povetkin. There have been a number of fights uh, that have been excellent. 
I guess the, the broader question, do you believe boxing has delivered enough since the, they came back during the pandemic to satiate boxing fans? Well, when we were missing boxing during those months in the, in the spring and the early summer, I think we all asked ourselves the same question, whether it was boxing or movies or theater, can we survive without this? Do we want to survive without this? How much of a burden is it on us to survive without this? Because we didn't have it at all. When it came back, you could argue that the, the ratings have not been great for sports in general and for boxing in, sp in particular. Um, that's a little troubling. But I do think that we've had a lot of good fights and a lot of fighters are coming back. And one of the problems, I think, is that before the pandemic, fighters were beginning to fight less and less in a year, maybe once a year. We all go kid about Gary Russell being a one-time-a-year guy. Right. Well, that's become almost the norm. And the pandemic took that a few months away from those same fighters. And now they were fighting maybe once in 2020, maybe not at all. So that was, that caused, that was a hurdle, I think, as well. But um, we've had some good matchups, and I think we continue to, will continue to. I think Leo Santa Cruz and, and, and uh, Gervonta Davis is about as good a matchup as you can make. You know, you have Inouye coming back. We had Lopez and, uh, and, um, and Lomachenko. So given the circumstances, I think the fights have been pretty, pretty damn good. As we move forward with uh, the sport, um, it seems as though the added exposure of over-the-air networks taking on the sport and uh, mainstream sports media covering the sport more at least from my standpoint, gives me optimism for, uh, for where the sport is headed. Do you sense that as well, or do you feel differently? Well, a little bit of both, actually. I think the good, the good is that boxing is such a star-driven sport that history suggests that when the right guy comes along, and it doesn't happen all the time, obviously, but when the, when the De La Hoya comes along, when the Chavez comes along, when the Tyson comes along, when the Ray Leonard comes along, that one guy can lift the entire sport. Um, again, that doesn't have, you can't wait for that to happen. It has to be kind of a natural fluid thing for, for it to happen. Um, the reason I worry a little bit about that is some, I don't know that all the pieces are in place to take that guy, even if he's the right guy or woman to lift the sport up, if all the pieces are in place to highlight it and to magnify it so that the mainstream media does pay attention and, and flashes its spotlight on these fighters. That's what worries me. I don't know that it's the same as, it, as it's been in the past. Also, the other factor we have to understand in America is, you know, boxing's not just an American sport anymore. It used to be if America didn't have a huge, huge star, then, you know, where, where was boxing? Well, today, look at the heavyweights with Fury and Joshua. You know, I mean, they're, they're carrying the heavyweight division right now. So we have to be less provincial and understand that boxing is more of a global sport than it's ever become. And if that means a little, a little bit less attention paid to American fighters, so be it. Yeah, it's true. When you, when you discuss where boxing's at, you're talking about two different things, globally and in the United States. And right. the two are not necessarily always the same in terms of where the, where the sport is at and, uh, and how, how it goes. There are big fights still remaining uh, in this uh, year. One of them is Errol Spence and uh, uh, Danny Garcia. Uh, down in uh, Texas, and um, 
that's an intriguing fight, I think, because uh, Danny Garcia tends to overperform sometimes what people think are their expectations of him. Yeah, I, I, for some reason, a lot of people on social media have always been down on Danny Garcia and criticizing him, and I don't understand it. Yeah. You know, has he had one or two fights along the way in the past eight, ten years where he was he was clearly overmatched? You know, he, the opponent was overmatched? Yes, but which fighter doesn't have that? Danny fought, he fought Matisse when Matisse was a killer. He's fought a lot of good fighters. He fought a great fight with Sean Porter. I mean, I don't, I don't understand it. And I give him a shot against Spence. I really do. Uh, you feel he can beat Errol Spence, huh? I give him a shot, for sure. I think Spence might be the better all-around fighter. But what's interesting about that fight is you and I are old enough to remember Hagler, Hearns, Leonard, Duran, the, the big four. And they all fought each other, throwing Benitez. Well, slowly but surely, partly because the politics lend itself to it, the big name welterweights of this era are fighting each other. You know, now Sean Porter will have fought Danny Garcia and Spence. Spence will have fought Mikey Garcia and, and uh, you know, they're all fighting each other. It's a round yeah. robin. And fans love that. When the talent is good enough, and this fight is another example of an extension of that round robin, which is very good for the sport. Well put as always. Steve, thank you so much for uh, visiting with me uh, on this the, uh, the show here, and uh, uh, I love the uh, looking back at your career uh, and, and all the things you've meant to the sport of boxing. It got you inducted into the sport of boxing hall of fame uh, in 2017, and rightfully so, and uh, you continue on with your great career, uh, and I am honored to be a colleague of yours. Well, I feel the same way, Al. Thank you so much for having me on, and before you know it, we'll see each other, uh, we'll see each other soon. You got it. Take care, Steve. Thank you, Al. So that was my chat with Steve Farhood. He is always a great listen. And I'll tell you what, what he's uh, forgotten about boxing, most people have never known. So he's, he's just a, a brilliant guy and uh, always a joy to talk to. And uh, we have one more question, I believe, that I, uh, I need to answer. So, Tripp, what do we got on the question? Well, actually, we, I'm going to... Uh, please you a little bit. We actually have two more, but let me get the first one. This is from Powder at Hawkeye. What is your greater passion, music or boxing? Ah, well, as, as most people know, I am a musical performer and uh, perform in Las Vegas and other venues. And, uh, and I love music. And I, you know, that's a, it's a 50, 50 proposition um, because I really enjoy broadcasting and I love music, but uh, without broadcasting, I wouldn't be able to pay the bills. So I'm, I'm going <laughs> to go with broadcasting from a mercenary standpoint, but from a passion standpoint, it's about a 50, 50 proposition broadcasting and, uh, and music. I love doing music when I get a chance. I had a chance to talk to some friends over the weekend about the show, and I told them a couple of the stories that you've related to our listeners about doing shows at Caesars and some of the people in the audience doing strange things while they're enjoying the show. <laughs> yeah, we had some all those years when I performed uh, before the in the 80s, especially before the the big fights at Caesars, we had everybody there. Oh, my God. It was like a who's who. Uh, and uh, even up through the 90s when I performed at the Riviera and other places before major fights. And uh, that, that was what made it fun. It was a gathering place for a lot of, a lot of people that were there for the fights. And uh, we had a good time. 
Have you ever done a family sing where your wife is a professional musician, your son's a professional musician? Have you guys performed, all three of you, on stage? No, Wes uh, sat in, uh, in uh, and did some songs at a couple of uh, appearances I did here in Las Vegas. But uh, uh, I haven't done with Connie, though. She was, of course, a great singer for over 30 years with the Rocco sisters. But uh, Wes has, uh, has sat in on a couple of performances, so that was fun. Okay. And then our final question, Buddy Mills, what are we seeing in Davis? How good can this young man be? Tank of course, Davis. that's Gervonta Davis, who uh, performed so well in beating uh, Leo Santa Cruz. And, uh, you know, I think that we talked about a little bit earlier what he showed in that performance. You know, he, he was really superb. Uh, he showed the great poise and uh, great counterpunching ability, and of course, the power we know is there. There's no question that he's a fighter at age 25 with a huge upside, and I think if we can get, if 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 they can make the boxing uh, powers can make the important fights with him facing people like Teofimo Lopez and Hain, Devin Haney and uh, Ryan Garcia and the like. I just think it would elevate the sport to a place uh, that would make it very special. And I'm hoping that that will happen because uh, Davis is special. He's, you know, it's true that we still haven't seen him against a, a 135-pounder that we know is an upper echelon person, but he's shown plenty so far. And that win over Santa Cruz was certainly uh, impressive. So, um uh, do we, we have one more or that's it, right? That's all our that's questions. That's it, yeah. Okay. So we, we covered everything. We did our, we did yep. our duty. Um, now, on our next podcast, we're going to have a, a guest that is uh, in kind of semi-associated with the sport of boxing, but you know her better from MMA, Chris Cyborg, the uh, very famous mixed martial artist who uh, has sparred with Claressa Shields, among others, and has talked about uh, being a boxer uh, in the next couple of years. Uh, so we'll see if she moves into women's boxing. Uh, and she is a big boxing fan. So we're going to chat with her uh, on our uh, next episode. And we hope you will join us. My thanks to Tripp for uh, his work and also Steve Farhood for joining us. Uh, and we'll see you next time.